Here we go. Here it comes. <clears throat> Paul Bop Mallclart. In honor of Paul Blart <laughs> Mallcop 2, what sitcom star would you most like to have a film career? <laughs> really rooting for Dave after that reading. But Made if not Dave. Not Clark. <laughs> Paul Blop Mallcart. Paul Blop Marshlart. <laughs> Paul Blart Mallcop. Well, this is better than any sitcom, but if I really have to choose from a real one, uh, Reed Scott, who plays Dan Egan on Veep, deserves to be in a really vicious rom-com that ends with both romance and insults. Uh, I'm Dave and Rico Rodriguez from Modern Family, but not in a comedy, like in a kid drama or a teenage meth drama. Maybe not in meth specifically, but a meth equivalent. I am Matt Patches, and I am going to go with Hudson Yang, who plays young Eddie Huang on the new sitcom Fresh Off the Boat. And I don't know what kind of movie a young Asian kid stars in these days, but I know you're automatically thinking of a short round from Temple of Doom and fuck you, you racist. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, I'm David Ehrlich. I go straight for the jugular. I'm going to go with Elizabeth Montgomery of Bewitched. And yes, I am aware that she is dead. No, I do not care. This is my podcast. I was This is why we have CG. Exactly. Uh, If we could bring back Marlon Brando for a Superman trailer, we can bring back Elizabeth Montgomery for an entire film career that she never got to have. Justice served at last. Super (laughs) weird. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's awesome. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 67 for Tuesday, April 14th, 2015. So far into our, the year of our Time Lord, Dr. Emmett Brown. Uh, we don't have reviews to share with you this week. And uh, David Erlick is displeased. And when David Erlick is displeased, uh, he tries to resurrect Elizabeth Montgomery. So please uh, respect the wishes of her estate. Don't let him dig her up in a grave and uh, maybe leave us some reviews. Is that, is that convincing? <laughs> yes, because that is so fucking crazy that uh, you have to leave a review because I don't... Uh, that's disturbing. No. You don't want to live in a world in which David has the power to uh, resurrect TV stars of the 60s. I absolutely do not. I'm more of an I Dream a Genie fan. That is not true. I'm lying. Wow. Bewitched rules. Bewitched that's was right. so much better than... I dream a genie. This is not a question. Wait, yeah, is that a debate? No. That's not a debate. I dream this a genie. This should be our right. next. This should be our next. All right. So, for our tidbit this week, we're going to talk about a subject that I immediately regret volunteering. <laughs> but, yeah, but it should be clear, this is your week. You got to this, choose this the topics. Is, this is my week, and being the masochist <laughs> that I am, naturally, we've decided to talk about two superhero movies and something directed by the Antichrist himself, Matthew Vaughn, uh, but all in due time. Uh, our first tidbit is something that I always think of when a uh, potential friend of the show, I think he's been a friend of the show, uh, and just general friend to all of us, Devin Faraci talks about on Twitter of badass. Not Netflix. friend of the gamer gators. Not friend of Game the gamer gators. gators. I don't know how talks, to say uh, about it. the internet when he when he complains about people complaining about there being too many superhero movies, and I think that is a case of missing the forest for the trees. Really, perhaps on both sides, um, because I think 
the problem is not that there are too many superhero movies. There are, in fact, quite a few of them relative to even the other blockbusters that are released every year. Uh, but simply that we talk about them way too much. There is a huge disparity between the quantity of superhero movies and the volume at which they are discussed. And I recognize that talking about them in this space uh, is not helping the problem. But we're not here to solve things, just to, just to discuss them. Um, but this is, some, this is something that, if you're listening to the show, you're probably someone who spends a decent amount of time reading movie sites or on social media and whatnot. Um, maybe you enjoy the fact that there's this deluge of superhero talk, every casting announcement, yeah. rumor. Some people enjoy it, believe it or not. Do. We like talking about I, it. I believe that that is true. I'm not sure I understand I believe it, in but, Harvey Dent. Uh-huh. Um, and that there is a lot of empty air that I, I think my problem is, is simply that it's become the norm for all movies even if you know the concentration is still on superhero movies i think all other blockbusters have sort of been tainted by this um saturated uh, hyper obsession need to know everything thing the, the you know this is dave's domain and not mine but they uh you know every every casting rumor everything it goes on and on and on and i think it really chokes out intelligent conversation about movies um and it is what the people want uh, it would seem, but to an extent, to think that the people shouldn't necessarily get what they want. They should get what they, it's going to be good for them. <laughs> um, but, uh, this, so this, my problem is, is I've always been the most outspoken critic of superhero movies on this podcast. Um, and in real life, probably of all the people that there are. And <laughs> would you but, call yourself a superhero against superhero movies I, in the I, name of, I would art. not, I would not say that my powers are super <laughs> in nature. Uh, but, uh, I, and I feel strongly that there are not too many superhero movies. I, I really feel like it's the marketing mechanism and the obsessiveness with which people talk about it and the obsessiveness with, with which people in positions, not necessarily of responsibility, because they don't necessarily owe anything to these audiences, but people of power and exposure shoot that, that are occupying positions that could otherwise or were previously occupied by people who had a broader interest, uh, are talking about this ad nauseum. And, you know, it's true that while, like, Devin will flood his Twitter feed talking about every bit of minutia in the movies, his site is wonderfully diverse in what they cover. Um, and uh, I think his knowledge is similarly broad. Uh, but it, it's, you know, he is not necessarily the enemy here. I just think that there is uh, a, 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 a problem with the fact that people are willing obsessively to talk about this one thing um and it bothers me on the other side too i always make fun of the the film stage boys for you know who we are friends with we should say i have have friends with uh and just picking on strangers i adore as well uh and they uh, whenever you know jordan raup great guy that he is is a complete nut for terrence malick and his site will be overrun with the smallest of details about whatever upcoming terrence malick productions there are and it's and you know they're very star wars agnostic everybody has their own poison but uh i i think right for instance you have tweeted three times a day since sundance about the short film the world of tomorrow by don hertzfeld and uh you won't stop tweeting about it you won't write anything substantial about it (laughs) when you are one man doing these things uh, i think the saturation (laughs) but one loud man uh, one loud one loud still is a little bit less noticeable than uh it being this constant uh sort of wind tunnel of of noise about these things and i i just i think uh I don't know. I just wanted to throw that why, out there. Why is it hurting anything? I think that's the real question here, because the more I think about this, and we've talked about it a little bit before in the past, um, and as we ramp up for Avengers Age of Ultron, which is what I assume 
kind of prompted this conversation from you. Um, it prompts all I, conversations. I think, I, yeah, it demands. It takes all of our attention. Uh, I, I just think about, for me, comic book movies are, are their own thing now. You know, the days of Jurassic Park being in this vacuum, we were talking about that before the podcast, um, just being a movie that came out, you saw it in theaters, you were wowed by it, and, and that was that for that movie until... We didn't realize that it would have sequels, but it's not even if those sequels were, were intertwined with it or was this big lead up to the sequels. There was just another Jurassic Park coming out a few years later. Who knew? Who would have thought? Um, those These movies seem singular, whereas comic book movies are these insular worlds, these insular conversations. They are about plot more than if we're talking about Godzilla and post-human, uh, you know, post, post-drama Mm-hmm. films in a way i think uh, i uh, think of superhero movies as an insular plot driven conversation uh much like their source material comic books are the type of thing that are about splash page and then a bunch of filler stuff that's all kind of predicated on past issues there's footnotes reminding you what happened before and what's coming f- in the other <laughs> issues it's all this it's all intertwined Patches, i think you're you're absolutely right there and that's certainly why i think these movies breathe that particular kind of obsessive discussion they're not However, movies well okay whatever you want to call them however uh unfortunately the film ecosystem is not quite so insular what affects one movie i think that you look at jurassic park is really interesting uh counterpoint because i don't think that the grotesque horror fuck storm of nightmares that is jurassic world <laughs> uh, or so it appears to be with yeah, a movie you haven't seen yet none right, of us clear. have seen this movie right. and <laughs> i i more than anyone am on people's case about judging movies before they see they see them but i i certainly the look of the movie so far as we can tell and have been shown through the trailers i don't think uh would be possible without the rampant success of comic book movies i think all of success informs the decisions that people, particularly people who have a lot of power and very little wiggle room for risk, uh, make. And so while comic book fans may be able to isolate those things in their brain, unfortunately for me, being in this business, I can tell you, as well as I think, Patches, you understand to a certain degree, that um, talking about comic movies, the things that comic book movies do, their politics, their aesthetics, their political aesthetics, these things uh, are not possibly contained in that particular world simply because uh, when anything is that profitable, it will bleed over. They want everything to vaguely resemble that. I think, you know, without the success of comic book movies, you don't... Yeah, by, have... by everything, we're only talking about these gigantic movies, the kind that uh, Dave has dubbed mega franchises. It's only a sliver, as you have said. It's not that there are too many comic book movies it just seems that the conversation steers that way but it's really the conversation you're focusing on it i see it seems easy to kind of turn your ears off to that you think it's easy Uh, you think it's easy to turn your yeah patches come on it is not 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 if you live in the world that we do to turn the... Why would you want to turn your ears off to it, then? You can do it. No, just I mean, it's too not. much. It's too See, much. It's difficult, it's difficult to much. turn off. This is, this, is a two-pronged, this is a two-pronged problem. <laughs> One is that the blockbuster filmmaking bubble of interconnecting all these films hasn't burst yet. And because there is a studio like Marvel that has the capability through Disney to make like their complete phases is probably not going to be done through like 2019. 
And then, like, one of these will fail, and they'll figure out something else because Hollywood needs to figure out a way to, like, make money. Maybe it's more interconnected stuff, but it's definitely not always going to look like a whole bunch of superheroes. I'm just hoping that movies can become, you know, they've become comic books, basically. But I'm waiting for them to become collectible card games like Magic the Gathering. (laughs) Somehow, if I could Mm. get movies, and then I could battle your movie with my movie, Uh and it could be a dick-swinging contest, (laughs) then I would have more fun. That's that's an app you need to develop. The second second problem... is that you have this sub-community that had been neglected before these were profitable types of movies that were brought up on the internet with, like, you do go over every casting choice and you do want to, you know, see photos of everyday shooting if you get your hands on it. But because since then, I guess since the Star Wars prequels era, when this sort of, like, blew up and all of a sudden you could make a quick buck by starting up a fan site, that era's over... But now it's like all these people are populated and uh, it's like none of the people who are running the sites are mediating very well between what's important casting and what's not important casting because it's sort of like a hard thing bet- like between like what's fan important and what's trade important. Well, I, I think well, what's that's... interesting is the mainstreaming of that kind of geek conversation yes. because it's not as if this wasn't happening 30 years ago in Starlog. It was. It was just for the people you're, you were sticking their heads in toilets and that sort of thing. But now with something like, I was just talking to someone about Daredevil, which is on Netflix, and everyone uh. wants to know about Daredevil, and everyone wants to see Daredevil in his costume. And Daredevil is very very much like the Nolan Batman films, which I think is bad. why it has this kind of broad appeal. Well, bad, maybe. It depends on your opinion. But I, I, it has a broad appeal because it's very serious and, like, uh, bros and jocks can take this nerd content seriously for the first time, which means we've brought them, we've brought broader audiences into this kind of fervor around geekdom. And and so that's Do you think why those broader audiences definite. care about his costume though? Like do you yes. think they're not just watching it the way that they would watch like SVU and they don't do they give a shit about whatever character I, being I don't in know, because well the properties insist upon it and comics have always done this and so have the Star Wars movies ever since they started coming out with like who is Luke's dad, you know, who you know, who is Darth Vader? Those kind of questions were pervading through geek conversation. But now since everyone can have this conversation, it just sounds louder. But just going back to what someone was saying about the difference between fan obsessions and, and what's of interest to fan sites and trade sites, I mean, I think for me, uh, a lot of this is coming from the the fact that organizations that I were previously, when it when it was not you know financially detrimental for them to be above the fray, were above the fray, and now you know Variety has one of the most toxic social media presences of any. Really, any outlet I can think of. Hollywood Reporter is worse. Uh, I don't know. Vari- I don't follow Hollywood Reporter on Twitter, so I can't speak to that. But Variety's Twitter feed, I feel like I need to follow, um, and is a utter nightmare. That is another conversation for another time. However, <laughs> well, see, the, I think the beauty they focus, of the- <laughs> well, they focus on uh, the minutia of this stuff with the fervor of a fan because they want to capture that geek quotient. They want people who would otherwise go to Ain't It Cool or wherever else, I mean, really dating myself there, would uh, <laughs> would click over to Variety to read their their teasing non-news story uh, thing of information that could be contained in a tweet to begin with. Um, they want those eyeballs. And so uh, because of their lack of integrity and their need to compete with everything that's happening, they further blur the line between the, the geek conversation and the conversation. Yeah, and I think you're going to see that happen more and more with Game of Thrones as everyone catches on as the series winds down. That it's you know something that you could reap clicks off of basically no matter what you write about it. And if you happen to hit with a 
the real thing you're supposed to be talking about. You get a ton of clicks off of it. And like that's the sort of same thing that superhero movies are in now. It's just whatever's the most popular, you're chasing the same audience. It's just there's so many superhero movies now, but they're treating it like a one property we care about. So it's like, I don't mm. care if Olivia Munn is Psylocke. Just like... Tell me who the whole cast is, like when you start, you know, I, when you end production or something. I honestly, and get it over I understand with. that I, I that not every person out there shares my opinion that the last X movies, X Men movies, Days of Future Past, uh, which I can't yes, believe you're wrong called, about that, was uh, just an, like an insult to no, oh, it's a lot of fun. But uh, you know, I think that it, it's anyway. I, I I couldn't believe that that Psylocke thing with Olivia Munn was such. Big news today, and that the, the people was it big play, news though? I don't know. It's, it's not big news, but it's fun news. That's the, the difference. That's what you're talking yeah. about. Just because it's just because Variety fun. is reporting it doesn't mean it. anything. People talk about it because they know that people, the, every detail, the caterer on the next X Men movie will get but, enough clicks. But my over. question to you is, so what? And so people don't what care about that? what they're reporting. It's just more traffic and more this and more that. And on the but you're caught in a bubble here. You're caught in a bubble, that. but and you can't empathize with the people who might give a damn because it's just fun to know who these characters that you've you know read about in the comics or seen in the cartoons or seen in other movies who will they'll be how they'll be resurrected or how they'll be portrayed for the mm-hmm. first time people are into it to and, wrap it, and up, it's its own comic book saga it's its own value entertainment value to, to wrap okay. up we'll just say to reiterate my claim from the top of the program uh no i do not think there are too many superhero movies i, I just think we talk about them way too damn much so it feels like that uh, every one superhero movie feels like a hundred other movies uh and often now they all do feel like a hundred other movies in other ways anyway just some food for thought. David is suffering FOMO over not seeing Age of Ultron. I am not, <laughs> let me tell you. I'm seeing it soon enough. I'm L to the R to the NK. Okay, so for, for segment two tonight, uh, well, how to begin? Um... It's called well, a mini-segment, by the way. Mini-segment, right. A few uh, weeks ago, we reviewed the movie <laughs> Kingsman of Secret Service, and, and David was not remember. there. <laughs> I did not participate because I did not see Kingsman of Secret Service. I think you actually swore it off, to be it, fair, because you wouldn't I see did. Matthew Vaughn's because name. Yeah, I feel Matthew like that Vaughn happened. Matthew Vaughn is uh, the Antichrist, and I just have no interest in what he does, or did, I didn't until this weekend. My girlfriend and I desperately needed to get away. We went on a... Uh, Staycation. We rented a hotel room in a boutique hotel in Manhattan just for one night, which is really about oh as much as we could afford, but it was as far as we could go with the time for us. Uh, we had a lovely time, but we also um, <laughs> rented late at night because it was there on the hotel TV, Kingsman. Um, and she, who loves Colin Firth and all things British, uh, and I, who will literally see anything that I missed, uh, decided it was the perfect thing for us to see. And we watched it twice. We <laughs> loved it. Uh, you know, it is so juvenile and so ridiculous. But I think that at a certain point, it crosses a threshold um, point in the movie. Uh, really, it's about 90 minutes into this four-hour film. It crosses a threshold of just unbelievableness that I, I have to applaud that they were able to to pull this off. It feels kind of cut rate. The action scenes do as well, but there's this whole um, it, like it, it feels sort of a 
endearingly only a half step up from Agent Cody Banks in its production oh, value. Yeah. But uh, everyone is wow. so charming. <laughs> the the scenarios, it's so it's so body and so uh, you know, male adolescent fantasy. Um, it parodies yes. it, it clearly loves the Bond movies that it's parodying. The parody is never especially clever, but it's has such a good time. That so you're saying it's the Weird Al of uh, Bond parodies? Uh, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, and just really, Samuel Jackson's plan and how it backfires. Uh, I even the second time we watched it was cackling. <laughs> for for uh, I will not spoil it for those who haven't seen the movie, but. If for the first 90, so, 90 or so minutes, it's really just a glorified training montage. But then uh, when things get serious, they get serious indeed. <laughs> and uh, I I was really thrown for a loop and, and loved it. And uh, my mom, who unbeknownst to me had seen the movie uh, with my dad, also loved it and could recall with fondness the church scene. Uh did you guys? I didn't listen. The fondness. To the, <laughs> oh man, the church scene is where I really, uh, I turn into like a cranky old person. Yeah, I can't imagine. What are the kids these days watching? <laughs> I can't imagine this left uh, or the the taste in your mouth, Katie. Over time, has not. It's only no. Sound. I I no. I have not thought about it. This movie had no impact on impact on me whatsoever. I I did think that church scene was just incredibly. It, like, it crossed the line in a way about like hyper violent that I know Matthew that's Matthew Vaughn saying I mean, I talked about this on the review you can all listen to me complain about it before but I thought it was an extended training montage and Colin Firth is would be great in an action comedy but this is not the one that I or really a Bond movie like an old yeah, oh Bond yeah movie. older Bond but, but may, don't you may love the new M or something that he like agreed to go spend a few weeks of his <laughs> life being like the perverted uh, you know quasi heir to the new generation of, of Bonds and that kid whatever the fuck is super british name is was uh it's not ansel elgort it's like tamson nope, american algort or whatever um, tamson Alblart smart top <laughs> paul blart mall cup uh is charming as hell um and mark strong who's always playing the villain really leans into to being the uh, not since green lantern has mark strong <laughs> knocked no, us out he he was he is playing you know someone who's ultimately an endearing good guy in this, but is also uh, sort of merciless along the way. And how do you reckon with your feelings really... for Matthew Vaughn? Well, oh, that's what like, we want to what talk is... about. We're running out of yeah, time. So here, I figured but... there must be something to steer you towards. Uh, yeah, it has I think, actual I, think I just wanted to to just bring up the subject that I'm sure all of you out there have experienced at one time or another, where you see something by someone you loathe, even if you don't subscribe to the auteur theory i think you've identified filmmakers who are just not on your wavelength and you can't help but like it it's why you have hope every time the lights go down in a movie and and uh you know are as optimistic as you can be that you're going to enjoy what you see but how do you reckon with that for me it's very uncomfortable but i embrace it when it happens because why would i deny myself that pleasure yeah, yeah. that's why i see the resident evil movies mm-hmm. that's, no, uh, I, don't, I don't like paul w sanderson at all or really anything he's thought about doing was a masterpiece Even i mean the it's just the, there was uh, just some good stuff in there this was the revelation i had on uh inglorious bastards i still don't really like quentin tarantino all that much but man i love that movie mm. well Patches. hats off to the number 245th Greatest movie of all time, according to IMDb. King Kingsman. Oh my god! <laughs> I take it all I love back. you, IMDb. <laughs> I take it all back. Anyway, manners maketh man. Kingsman. 
Matthew Vaughn, I'm only interested in what you do next if it's a Kingsman sequel, and uh, I really rather we have fewer sequels. So just maybe just stop here. Stop while you're ahead. Is is he doing X Men still? No, so that's no. He's uh, I think he's doing Kingsman too. Of course. Who makes the X Men's now? Oh, Brian Singer came back. Right. Good lord, who makes the X Men's now? Who 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 makes the X-Men's? who makes the X Men's now? <laughs> Segment three in my episode about uh, incessantly talking about superheroes only to throw them under the bus in anticipation, stealing myself, fortifying myself for the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The Colossus or whatever you want to call it of Avengers. The Ultronomous. The Ultronomous. I want to talk about, I think something, um, the other thing besides the scores of the Marvel movies that the one other knock that I think even Marvel fans can sympathize with me a little bit which, we'll see about that <laughs> what? Uh, which is and but i want i don't want to make this too marvel centric i would like to bring the conversation away from marvel but i'm talking about the villains i think that hollywood uh, and blockbuster filmmaking in general has a major villain problem and the thing that sparked this uh within me was actually not um re-watching really any of the marvel movies would have done the trick except for the except avengers. for avengers um but was uh, Furious 7, because Jason Statham's character is a non-entity, and his entire motivation is tied to a mythology that has absolutely no weight and is not present in the film at hand. And so he really feels just like an empty cipher. To, and, and, and they really take that to the extremes in that movie, where he's just showing up wherever is most convenient for him, even though they're, they're sensibly looking for him. Um, and uh, everyone is giddy to give this a free pass just because it's Jason Statham fighting people, which is really a shame. Uh, but I thought well, that first was, off, uh, fuck you for that assumption. Uh, but uh, uh, it no, wow. it's uh, it was it's it's vile screenwriting, and uh, and I enjoyed a lot of things about that movie, but Jason Statham really wasn't one of them. Um, and Is there I think a one of the Fur- reason- Fast and Furious movie where you enjoyed the screenwriting yeah. particularly more than others? Well, I mean, it's all relative, but I did think oh. that... We just took a reasons- Tokyo Drift into another topic here. Well, one of the reasons that Tokyo Drift is my favorite is because the villain is self-contained. It's uh, the villain. It all has to do with things that are happening in that movie. He's given uh, weighty motivations. They all make sense. Um, and I think, you know, Fast Five works well enough as fast one anyway but in fast uh, five the villain is the rock for a while which is a genius idea but i do think that there is uh to talk or uh, reference earlier when we were talking about about mythologies of uh, superhero movies really spilling out away from their genre i do think now in this franchise happy time there is a tendency to uh make the villain inextricable from the mythology to the point where nothing that once made villains interesting um is really in play, and I think we started to see this in a way in Die Hard uh, with a Vengeance, where you, I mean, I'm sure there are earlier examples, that's just the first one that came to mind, where you have the Gruber brothers, although Jeremy Irons is still enough in that movie to make him his own thing, he's still his own character, who isn't really, uh, not just a clone of his brother, like Jason Statham was of whatever the fuck that guy's name was, who was in Fast 6. Evans. Or whatever. Um, but that, that may be the big bang of this trend but uh i i think that there's something to this i do think that we are have a huge issue with villains um i think you know whatever the dark knight's many 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 faults uh heath ledger obviously 
stood out, and they that whole superhero genre has had a really difficult time recapturing what made that special. I think Godzilla had fantastic villains, but they were also several stories tall um, <laughs> and prehistoric, and uh, they had a few advantages that movies that have to rely on humans do not. Um, I don't know. Do you guys see the same problem what do you think with of, uh, villains? Global I, markets. Um, wait, David, real quick. What do you think of the uh, <laughs> Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? Or, right, what was the latest one? Koba. What do you think about Koba? Uh, I I was unmoved by just about everything in that movie. I thought that it would have been wiser to fully position the humans as the villains um, and not really take any half measure. Oh, Koba. Oh, no, Koba. I just I remembered who he was. I'm sorry. I thought we were talking about Caesar Babe? for a second. Koba is a disaster. What a bore. Uh, oh, yeah, Koba, Koba is typical of everything. I mean, it's completely empty... He's just a, a, a proxy for it, like an empty vessel for just badness and so, and something to fight in the final scene. That's really all he is. Wait, rat, rattle off a few great villains here just for uh, in comparison's history? sake. Yeah, uh, sure. Oh boy, um, in all of time. Not Iago well, is no, not. No, 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 he's, not talking, Harry, he's not talking about bad villains. He's talking about villains that are inextricable from the plot. Like right. you have like to Harry have Lime. a villain do Harry this Lime because in Third Man. For whatever reason, the first thing that came to mind is a world-beating villain. Um, but my, you know, and we can learn lessons from older films, uh, but I, I, I think that we can also learn lessons uh, maybe more pertinent to this discussion from recent blockbusters, things even 10 years old. Um, I think at some point the worm turned and the age of Marvel has ushered in a series where villains are irrelevant. I couldn't even tell you who the villain is in Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I know that there are dark elves in the Thor movie I walked out of, but that's just because they were dark elves <laughs> and people make fun of them a lot. Um, I just watched Captain America World Police Soldier an hour ago, and I couldn't tell you who the villain is, and now I'm starting to fear that maybe I have a severe problem with my short-term memory. Well, I... I- <laughs> I, remember I don't the, think. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. oh, I remember the villains in all those movies, and I thought Bucky was actually pretty good in Captain America. But I think this, I, and I agree with you for the most part. And I think it's really summarized by Michael Shannon as Zod in Man of Steel, which is a bad movie for a lot of reasons. But you have Michael Shannon playing a really important villain. Like that's everything you need to make that an interesting character, and it really failed him on that, which was really disappointing to me. In what way, though? Can you can you talk about that? Like where does like, it he fail was, him? And what he was a really non-specific. He was really nonspecific. Like, he was this guy who just wanted to get in the way and was kind of spent most of the movie ranting by himself, kind of standing in a spaceship. Like, it didn't connect him to any of the action because it was so wrapped up in origins. I mean, it had way too many things going on, which is the other thing that a lot of yeah. these movies have problems with. It's like well, these movies, like the Avengers as well, even though Loki's pretty good, like, is way more interested in, in the team building and in whatever's going on with the hero sure. than giving them any meaningful of, uh, relationship with the villain. What do you think of, like, the Wicked Witch of the West and Wizard of Oz? Huh. What do you mean? Question. What do I, like, I mean, is, she it, good, is she a good is villain? She, yeah, is she a great villain? She seems to be iconic. People seem to adore yes, her. Yes, she's and, an echo of the old lady that takes Toto at the beginning. Right. Like, and oh, a come witch. the fuck on. No one, no, no, by that a, point. Well, I mean, no but, the, like, that's, but that's what she is beyond the plot. And so, therefore, she's not inextricable. She's not Thanos that's coming because otherwise we won't have movies in three years. True, yeah, I mean, but I, I mean, that... if Thanos had the time of day in a, in a movie, perhaps he'd be more of a character. Thanos has always no, been but, a side I mean, they, bit. They give the time of day to like all the other villains in Marvel movies, and like, and even Bucky and Captain America, who has a really strong relationship with Cap. Like, 
isn't that no great, he, but like, his relationship is rooted in mythology it's not rooted in anything substantive it's all about who are you to this person but not like what does that mean there's there's no way that he resonates as a foil for captain america um especially because they refuse to confront his identity for 165 minutes of the movie or well what's weird it. is oh, iron man has a character that is more steeped in character and and tony stark's arc the uh, jeff bridges obadiah stain oh, but he's yeah. also not a good villain because yeah all, all that digging is all too shallow villains. who was yeah. the villain in the third one? Oh yeah guy pierce yeah, that I sucks so much. I was, was so like disappointed in that. Faces up or something. Yeah, I think all the Marvel. I mean, I think I like Loki because. I mean, well, not only because Tom Hiddleston, you know, plays him with some life, uh, but I, he he. I just I understand. I believe his relationship to Thor. I think obviously it helps that they have an entire movie that sort of goes into the Shakespearean origin of these things. Um, but I don't think the movie leans on that too hard. I think that his quest for power, the conflation to Hitler, I think that they make in that one scene in Germany. I think these things register in a way that a lot of the Marvel villains don't, because also Joss Whedon loves villains and gives uh, make sure that they shine as brightly as any of the heroes do. And there are a lot of heroes in that movie. But I think, you know, Iron Man 2 is probably the worst example of many things. Um, but even, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, again, I mean, it's, this is a movie that many, many, many people loved. Um, and it, it, I, I just don't think that there is an, enough of an antagonistic force that's worth believing in, in any of these movies. And it really lowers the stakes. It mutes the consequences. And... I wonder why this is, Dave, maybe, who you have such a, a deep familiarity with how these stories work, if you think, uh, A, if you agree with me in the least bit, and B, if so, if you think that there is something endemic to these movies that is, that is making them, because um, aren't comic book villains like, so much fun historically? Yeah, but then they also get to continue their own story. I think this has, like, something to do with the expanding film market intersecting with, like, the rise of the antihero at, like, the 2000 to 2010s. Because you get this thing where we, it becomes acceptable, like, worldwide to watch, like, The Sopranos or Breaking Bad as, like, stories of bad people that you're rooting for. And we suddenly have these ostensibly villains with a whole bunch of nuance and then simultaneously we're trying to like build these huge hero stories where you know the world has to be at stake but it can't be like a country or an ethnic group it needs to be just something to get you there so it's like you know you have hollywood thrashes around and comes up with all these like techno things that could be on usb drives for a while but that's still just like a dude sitting in front of a glowing screen I'm happy that we're at least moving out of that era in the whole blockbuster like villain franchise. <coughs> but I mean, I think we're in a transitional period where it's like the Marvel movies are interested in the heroes and those are the people getting sequels. And like, even though they are sort of all like tied together, um, you know, you don't need to have seen Thor to understand the Thor Loki relationship. Mm. Like you were saying, Joss Whedon does it really well. I think in the next few years, this is what DC and Warner Bros. is going to have over Marvel because they're going to do movies focused on their villains 
as well as movies focused on the heroes. And so even though the individual movies might move with more like a MacGuffin purpose, by the time we're like three movies deep into Joker and Batman movies and they still haven't fought each other, and then like if they finally come together, that will hopefully be like the nuance. It would still be surprising to me if that ends up working for a few reasons. One, I think Loki is the best Marvel villain because Thor, the first Thor, ends up being the smallest Marvel movie. And mm. it makes it about those two brothers, and it makes them about butting heads. I feel like the most successful um, blockbusters with really dark villainous presences in them in the f- last even like thirty some years have been, you know, if you if you talk about Darth Vader or you talk about Sauron, you're basically talking about people who are Hitler or just like the Nazis, um, and talking about these gigantic forces. Like Lord of the Rings are very successful without having an identifiable villain. Um, and that's because it was just a large scale problem. If you're going to have a right. true villain, the Marvel problem, the Marvel problem with Guardians of the Galaxy, especially, is that it's a sprawling movie that tries to hang its coat, hang its hat, whatever the metaphor is, uh, yeah, on on one, yeah, hang all of the clothing onto one guy <laughs> holding a giant hammer. Also, hammer. What the fuck, Marvel? Um, Wait, who on, on this one guy, on Lee Pace. Ronan, Lee Pace, Ronan the Accuser oh, had yeah. a hammer. I forgot he was in I think, and, and Infinity Stones. But I'm just saying that that movie was too big to have a villain, to have, like, one villain. That's why all the Avengers movies are like, well, it's Ultron, plus it's an army of hundreds of robots. But that means that Ultron can't be as important as they want him to be, because there's too much movie there for a one villain. Well, what is this the part where you lightly like, spoil Ultron and let us know if Ultron... Because I thought Ultron might solve the problem because James Spader is really curious. I'll tell you what. I don't think Ultron solves the problem. Um, well, that's a bummer. Personally. We'll get well, there. We'll get there in time. Why do, is it that... And don't just say Philip Seymour Hoffman, although that's partially the right answer. But if why you're about to bring up Mission Impossible villain, 3, screw yes, you. Why is the villain in Mission Impossible 3, who is not it a foil at all... always comes back to Mission Impossible 3. Because he kills someone at the beginning. It's because he... But it's, why it's so the exact same reason as Joker in Mission Impossible Four. None of us can tell you who that was. Right. It's the exact no, same no reason idea. as Joker. It's because it's a it's a it's a villain who can bore directly into its hero. It doesn't have to be a foil of the hero. It just has to be some a true chaotic force that causes identifiable trouble for our our hero. I mean, Joker was just a force of chaos personified in terror imagery. Uh, you can't get rid of him. He's boring straight into. Batman, and I think Philip Seymour Hoffman does a similar thing, especially in that scene where he's just face to face with Tom Cruise. He's like, confronting him. Do you have I a wife, mean... girlfriend? <laughs> I'm gonna kill her. Confront her. I don't remember what the line is. I, but isn't this uh, Shakespeare? This does it. Do villains all come back to Shakespeare? Is this why we go back to the Bard time and time again? Is this why Scar is really the greatest villain of all time? Well, I mean, archetypes, <laughs> not not Shakespeare. But yeah, there. there are only there are only a few villains, and then a lot of these movies that we're talking about, I wouldn't describe as villain-centric movies. Go to Call is not a villain-centric movie. I don't care why Tom Cruise is doing something, as long as I'm with him, like in that storm, the desert sandstorm. Yeah. I don't know why I picked like the boring <clears throat> sequence in that movie, but I did. No, that's a great sequence. Are you kidding? Okay. Well, I guess it's better than the car well, fight at often. the end. I mean, he shows up for like four or five scenes in Mission Impossible 3. He's usually riding away Bowser style on a helicopter. <laughs> you know, he's, uh, but you feel his presence throughout the entire film because you buy the motivation. It's simple, it's concise, and it's, it's palpable. And I think that there's something about these uh, recent blockbuster movies where I don't know what it is where the, I'm trying to put my finger on it and, and clearly failing to do so where the motivation or whatever the case might be is just lacking and it just seems like 
uh, a needless obstacle, something that is is detracting from whatever else is interesting about the movie. Um, and I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I think we're. I think we're just at a time where villains don't really work in in the blockbusters that we have. They work in smaller movies. And you know, I'm sifting through lists of villains right now, trying to find great examples. And I think people are uh, are correct in saying that Anton Sugar. What, what, Sugar, Sugar from uh, No Country for Old Men. Probably well, about, one of the best villains about, in the last few years. That's just Heath Ledger all over again. But what about... Uh, wow. Jay, Skyfall? Skyfall is great, but I was going to talk about Whiplash, which is not a movie that I particularly care for, but I would love to see that hero-villain dynamic uh, expressed in, but that's exactly what we're talking about movies. when we talk about Joker. When we talk about Phillips and Rahman Mission Possible Three, the, you need a villain that can have a scene face to face with the hero. Marvel movies rarely have that, where you can yeah. really just kind of like go nose to nose. That's a really good point. I mean, we are talking around Daredevil, maybe because I'm the only one who finished it. But that's I'm six episodes in. I'm trying. I, I could not get past the opening credits. What? garbage from the <laughs> beginning oh my god unbelievable that anyway that series that series ends up being half about the kingpin and half about daredevil well i do end. i do like yeah i do like the approach of trying to characterize uh wilson fisk in this daredevil series no we're but not again, talking about daredevil no stop we are talking about daredevil. <laughs> no. i think yeah, the problem with it's daredevil. released and it's basically is what you're asking for if you were to like give it a little bit of a chance Although, it, it basically okay it's it's not exactly what you're asking for but it's a yeah. step forward for marvel <laughs> in terms of like knowing how to deal with their villain at all well it's because of scale again right this is just a, a mob boss in a neighborhood and a hero trying to stop him uh i think and they have Daredevil 10 hours slips up yeah and they have 10 really boring hours of it uh it, daredevil slips out because yes there's too much show and it mistakens characterizing their villain as a way of truly villainizing him uh just, just because you have an uh, off hours where you act like a bumbling fool and try and go on dates does not make you a better villain. It makes you a well-rounded character, but it doesn't create danger. And I think what this villain problem all comes down to is really having but a sense of danger, six, being able to make episodes, a... Your six episodes yeah, in? Uh, I've, seen, okay. I've seen some, some big... Uh, explosive craziness occur in Daredevil. Uh, I'll, I'll wait. I should get through the whole series. Yeah, I mean, I think that much, the issue of, of danger, the issue of lack it's of It's making an impact in a giant world. Right. Well, I mean, but what you're also talking about is you want a villain that's capable of being in the same room with your hero. And when that eventually does happen, which Patches isn't too yet, that's sort of like when... I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, that's sort of like when it's revealed. Well, so we'll, a, we'll, I mean, we'll talk I about think, Daredevil. Well, I think <clears> that the... The lack of consequences and everything else ties into, I was just thinking, um, because of casting rumors and writing, whatever the fuck it was going on today. Don't uh, read those, David. Uh, I know, I know. They're tweeted. There's <laughs> so much I can do about uh, the next Captain America movie, Civil War. And it's like, why do I even care what happens to the Avengers? I mean, they're going to they're gonna fight. Totally different problem. They're going to be mad right at now. each other. And then it's like, you know, it, it immediately takes the stakes away from everything. I totally, totally disagree. This is a totally other pro- okay. totally different well, problem. But I think that all rests on comic book movies being about watching what heroes do and not needing a villain. So maybe this does play into what you're saying. Because but not all movies require villains. And Marvel would be better off not ha- trying to have a central villain, trying to, you know, have an adversary. Then, or, then if, or if one of their villains, and I think this is what appealed to me about Loki, didn't acquiesce to the fact, the seemingly accepted fact that they are the bad guy. 
Loki genuinely, I, I believe, um, you know, however motivated by sibling rivalry and and spite, um, and, spite and everything that comes with that, uh, is believes that he is doing uh, good and something that you know is is in his own self interest. I you know, dark elves. I uh, can't speak to, but um, yeah, whatever whatever uh, Lee Pace was doing in Guardians of the Galaxy, I mean, it's just, it's so transparently evil that yeah, it's, I don't know. It's well, just, I, think, I think the other so problem is, this, <laughs> the, the other thing is a lot of these movies aren't handled correctly, as if they all need to escalate to one giant battle at the end, where mm-hmm. I, I've been thinking a lot about Return of the Jedi and how we kind of have parallel action in that movie. So it's going to be Luke and or Vader. two giant battles. Well, it's Luke, Vader, and Palpatine in one room squaring off. Yes. And then there's a space battle happening outside with other characters we care about. And then we have other characters on the ground trying to execute their own plan to help the people in the other places. And by doing that, you don't need to have just one big bad and hordes of people smashing into each other at the end, like every Marvel movie, giant lasers, spaceships, whatever. Uh, you can have parallel action. This can be structured around character, and that's the problem. Why do we not have great villains? Because we don't have great characters to start with, and we don't want to follow them into their own little paths. I mean, I guess, but, like, here's the thing about Return of the Jedi, is the more you know about the villain in that scene, which is Darth Vader, not the Emperor, because the Emperor has zero to do in that entire movie outside of his chair. True, it should probably just be Luke and Vader at that point. Well, I mean, and I understand, like, you need to have, like, this head of the galaxy in in its movie's credit that it keeps the focus on Vader and Luke, but the more you know about that final battle, the more emotionally rotted it is, and you figure that out by watching five other movies. The more you know. Yeah. I'm just saying, it's like, you know, Hissing's sister worked as a surprise on our parents' generation, but wasn't a big enough revelation for me that now the only way I can enjoy the full gravity of a scene like The End of Return of the Jedi is with the full knowledge of the mythology, which kind of means that Vader doesn't pass the outside of the purpose of the story test? Hmm. No right? one does. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, as, maybe. as a way of wrapping up, uh, looking into the future of comic book movies, which is all you people seem to do by looking at I can't at believe you're gazing movies. into that. Are you like, uh, what's his name in 2001? <laughs> well, it's, it's all stars? It's synonymous descending? Blind. Just looking at comic book movies. Um, maybe the solution here is uh, making one of the heroes the villains in the Iron Man. I mean, I know nothing about what's going to happen about this fight between... Iron Man and Captain America, but in the unlikely event that they commit to one of them being an antagonistic force, or even if they see them as two equals not having to join forces against a greater enemy, of course, that will never happen. Um, maybe that is is the way to actually have some character built into um, you know, what's wrong. But none of them are really characters to begin with, so maybe not. I don't know. Let's just go watch the third None of them the are really man. characters to begin eh, with? Boring. They've all had like four movies. Yeah, time, time does not maketh character my friend uh how about that shark at jaws yeah he's a (laughs) villain villain. how about that aliens an alien You got me that does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We will not be back with the review segment on Friday because all the movies opening this week look like garbage. I haven't seen them, so I can't say they are garbage. <laughs> Here's your so review. judgmental. But I did see Paul Blart Mall Cop 1. Blart Blart Darblop. Just watch Paul Blart Mall Darblop Chart Tire. Paul Blart Mall Cart. Then there's Unfriended and uh, something else. 
Oh yeah, and then Monkey Mail Kingdom Camp. and Mail, Mail Camp, Camp the Darplark. <laughs> so uh, you know, go see the Kingsman on pay per view instead, I guess. Uh, but there will be a storm of spoilers later this week. Welcome back to Game of Thrones season. So you'll still have Yay. Dave plus uh, some other wonderful people who are not us. Big changes from the books. One one episode in. Everybody, no get, spoilers. Though. Everybody, get ready. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches, and I am a senior writer for Esquire.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And Fighting in the Worm has a website, fightinginthewarm.com, where you can share the episodes, you can leave comments, feedback, whatever, whatever you fancy. Uh, comic book movie suggestions, uh, fightinginthewarm.com. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the associate film editor of Time Out New York and the editor-at-large of Little White Lies magazine. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at timeoutusfilm.com and at L-W-L-I-E-S uh, Yeah, I think that's what the thing is. Anyway, um, you can also find all of us together on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room where we learned last week that you guys like to send us very angry messages uh, which we will also not on air. very angry. Well, the ones directed at me. But I usually I deserve them. Passionate, right. Uh, so don't hesitate to get in touch with us there as well. My name's Dave Gonzalez. We received a Facebook message from a guy named Dave. We bonded over that. I spell my first name, DA70. That's also my Twitter handle. I write at geek.com, Forbes.com, and latino-review.com. A lot of good stuff this week. And also, I'm kicking off Storm of Spoilers, which you can find at Fighting in the War Room slash Got Spoilers. Because Game of Thrones acronym just got, and also got milk. Game of Thrones Um, got spoilers! Yeah! It's pretty sweet. Uh, you can go back and check up on uh, season four right now if you want to figure out sort of what we're all about. We do, and we analyze the show through the books and uh, everything that's being reported about on the internet. Um, so yeah, it, it is the number one resource for everything Game of Thrones being put to discussion. Uh, check it out. Wow, big promises, but it fulfills all of them. So That's right. You deserve to make them. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Twitter is also the home for us to be yelling at each other. Not you, because we like you. Uh, you can find us at F-I-T-W-R. And uh, we, went, we won't be able to read them on the air because we're not doing a review. But uh, answer this week's lightning round question anyway. What was it, Patches? Or what was it, Dave? Who are you? <laughs> In honor of Pablo Marco, which star, it's a come star, which you most like have to, fi- have to have a film career. You guys know what we asked. <laughs> Literally speechless in the face of Paul Marmoka. Uh Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. <laughs> Blue cards. <laughs>